Our emotions are designed, they're designed to inform us, not to direct us. There is no number you're ever going to get to that is going to heal whatever is going on inside of you. I think defining what it means to be a man is not possible. And, and when I say I don't think it's possible, I think I mean on a mass scale of agreement throughout societies. Oftentimes, anger is simply sadness masked. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. Hey, Imperfect Pod listeners, I am excited to be here today with an old uh, colleague. We're not even a colleague, an old kind of a colleague because we were both Dons at Laurier, uh, but fellow student at Laurier, friend uh, Keegan Zizekas. Um, Today, we're going to talk about being a professional in the workplace, what that looks like as a young man, kind of going over some of the best practices for being a new grad and performing in the workplace. So Keegan, excited to have you here, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Once again, Luke, I've told you this before. I'm a big fan of the work you do. I think it's awesome, the type of approach you take to this whole masculinity concept. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've been a big fan, been following along this whole time, and I'm just glad to be here and get to join in for a little bit. Perfect. Well, in that case, I'll ask you the same. Well, thank you for the kind words, but I'll ask you the same question that I ask all of my guests um, right off the start is who is one person dead or alive that you'd like to have over for dinner and what would you cook for them? Oh, what would I cook for them too? Man, and I was thinking about this and this is a tough question. I don't don't know why. And I really thought about it a lot. Like, do I want to go with a female from the past who's kind of like in a leadership position? do I want to go like a cultural route and lead it? Cause like, I think it's definitely a leadership position, but every time I thought about it, I still ended up with Jeff Bezos, which sounds super basic, especially considering that this is going to be like a business talk almost. But I don't know if you ever listen to the guy, he's just super like the way he, he talks with leadership. He talks with enthusiasm and he's just like someone that you can see. He He's like inspirational. Like he has vision, which I think is really cool. And what would I cook him? I'm a terrible cook, so it would have to be something that I've probably almost perfected, which maybe stir fry, just because I cooked it so many times in university. Yeah. Um, whether I eat it or not or like it, that's a whole different question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he'd be someone on like the emerging. I feel like he'd be so into like the new food trends too, like always trying yeah. new things. Like I don't even know. Jeff Bezos seems like a like an interesting guy, but what would you want to talk to him about? What would I want to talk to him about? That's tough. Well, going back to kind of what you said there, maybe I would try cooking something new for him. Maybe cook with him just to see the whole experience because that'd be kind of dope. Um, what would I want to talk about? Definitely his leadership style. I want to talk about Amazon when it started up because like, I'm not sure. A lot of people don't know this, but when Amazon started, it had 10 years of being like a nothing stock. Like it didn't rise. Like it's like he's worth $200 billion. I'm pretty sure he had $200 billion or something like today. and like he went through a good, good trench of like not really being a successful business. There's a part when the stock went up and went down. So I'm like, what was it like to grind through that 10 years of, of, you know, not being who you are now? Like, what was that experience like? Um, because I think failure is, is pretty interesting. And he talks a lot about finding your passion. Um, that's something that I'd want to talk to him about. He says the biggest thing is finding your passion because well, froze there a little bit. Still got you? Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about finding your passion, yeah, you how important me. it is because work, you know, you can look at it as somewhere you go to make money or something that's enjoyable to you. And he said, and he's big on that's the difference between whether you love your job and the money will come because of it. So I talked to him about passion and I guess what he saw he had passion in, in a delivery service type of company. Cause I don't know what it is with that, but <laughs> pretty interesting yeah. to me. Uh, uh, leadership style, probably. Okay, perfect. That's a perfect segue into kind of what we're going to talk about next, which is entering the workplace. So in regards to your life, do you think you are where you want to be right now? Or what do you see of your kind of work future? I don't think I'm where I want to be like right now. I think I'm on the path to getting where I want to be. And I think I'm pretty lucky to get on that path. Um, and it kind of ties back to what I said before, 
you know, I've always kind of done what I wanted to do. And that led me like my job before where I am right now, uh, I worked in construction. I was just filling a job. I like to do it. Now I look for like a, a little bit more of like a company style thing. Um, and I really enjoy that. What was the second part of the question? I guess, what are you passionate about what you do? And is it, are you on the right path to where you were going? Which you said you were on the right path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely am passionate about what I do because I'm lucky enough, like I work for like, uh, like big pharma kind of. And uh, a lot of people have a different views on it and whatnot, but I work around a lot of people who come into work every day and they think, okay, how can we help people more? How can we get people medicines that they need to be, you know, disease free essentially at the end of the day. Uh, and cost is a factor and all that. And that's stuff that they always analyze. So that, that's part of the thing that drives me is we get to help people where, where I am at the end of the day. And I think that I'm not where I want to be in the long run because I don't even know where I want to be. But I know that I'm on the right path to get there. And I think that's a really interesting part. And something that we talked about on our kind of prep call is this is the longest we're ever going to be at the bottom of the food chain. And so for context, I work more of a startup type company. Keegan works more at a, at a corporation that might be um, seen as you know more old school, I guess, or, or not the new wave that a lot of young students crave in the business world. Um, so we're going to talk about both of those a bit, but you know, that's something that I we we kind of talked about on our call was, you know, even at university, you're grade nine for one year, but three years later, you're grade 12. University, you're, you're a first year university student in first year. And then by the time you're three years later, you're, you're a senior. But everyone talks about in your corporate life, you know, it takes 10 years to maybe, maybe get like a director position or some sort of senior management position. So is that something that you think about or how patient do you think you have to be in your journey of, or through your, throughout your career? You gotta be patient. You can come in driven. Like, honestly, that's a good thing. I came in super driven. I wanted to learn fast. I wanted to finish everything, but regardless at the end of the day, you're going to learn that, you know, it takes time. Like there's no substitute for time. Um, you can learn along the way and stuff, but you need that time to build the relationships in the office to, cause that's a huge part. If you want to make it up, you've got to build those relationships. Like, people do have to like you in a sense, right? To trust you in those management positions. Um, so yeah, like I didn't come in with patience. I was like, man, like how can I get to the top as fast as possible? And I was motivated, which kind of helped. But, you know, I learned, I learned quick. You know, it, it doesn't happen that fast. And even a couple months in, there's still people that I'm getting to know. So patience is huge. You might not have it coming in and you might not think about it, but you're going to learn it regardless. Cause I, I do think it's so fascinating because, you know, even in university as a first year, you're not that low. Um, so you're, you're kind of trained, you get used to the system where you, you become top dog really quickly yeah. at, at school. Even if you're a third year, it's like whatever, or I, you know, I was part of clubs on campus and I was immediately a vice president or immediately a president yeah. or like, you know, they give you these director, VP, vice president titles, um, super quick and, and extracurriculars. So you come out, you're like, I'm going to be VP of this company so quickly, but that's not at mm. all how it works. Um, so were, do you think you were overconfident when you first started the job and, and you were like kind of sh- like taken down a notch or anything by leadership? Yeah, no, I definitely thought about that sometimes. Um, being overconfident for sure, because I, I don't know, sometimes I would say that I have like, like the alpha male, like complex where it's like, you know, you want to be top dog. You want other people to see that you're top dog, you know, and that sometimes that affects relationships, you know, like you act a certain way towards people. And I was like, man, like sometimes I just got to chill, you know, like I got to relax. Like I got to be more friendly with people. I got to see the business setting sometimes not so much as a business setting. Um, but there's like a fine line between that, I guess, in the business setting and, and a casual setting. That's, that's tough. That's something We'll get there, but that's yeah. that's a tough one as well. It's, do you believe in fake it till you make it? Because that's something that we also <laughs> hear a lot in university is is fake your confidence or or fake your way to the top or uh, fake it till you make it. Like, do you believe in that concept a little bit or at all or anything? You know, the, the like fake it doesn't sit well with me. You know, like that's a tough one. I think if you're gonna have confidence, it's because you're comfortable in your workplace and you're comfortable being yourself in the workplace. I think that's where a lot of confidence comes. And when you do fake it, people see through that, you know, like it's, it's easy to smell the bullshit, let's be honest. And, 
and you can get called out quickly, especially in like a big corporate setting when you're saying bullshit. And so that's when, like, if you try to fake it too much, people are going to see that. And it's not a a good trend. Just be yourself. It's it's huge, you know, and that confidence will come over time with experience, like I said. And like, that's even me right now. Like, I wouldn't say I'm the most confident person in the workplace because I haven't been there long enough. But Mm -hmm. I can see that I get more confident as time progresses. I get more familiar with the people and I'm more myself in the setting. Yeah. I I always think it's really interesting because when I hear fake it till you make it, there's some times where it's, you know, management comes to you with a problem. You don't want to say, I don't know, because you want to be that go-to person that they rely on. But at the same time, you you always also have to learn how to say, I don't know, because Mm -hmm. you don't want to be overconfident. And so it's understanding where that comes. I think as young men, we see that challenge a lot less because, or we are a little bit more braggadocious. Like that's one of the common uh, ideas that men are more confident and willing to say, like, I know how to do this when we don't. And women more are, you know, I don't know how to do this. Why don't you help me do it? Do you think that's a problem too? Is do you see that, that barrier between how men and women work in the, in the workplace or, or is that not something that you've noticed? Um, sometimes I think that men can be a little bit more outspoken. Uh, and, that could help with like, I don't know, getting into those leadership positions and whatnot. But I mean, I work with some fairly strong females, you know, that's definitely like been almost eye opening for me. And I, and I really appreciate seeing it because like I, I work with some females who they'll tell you straight up, like that's a problem. You know, they don't hesitate to tell you those things and they're very comfortable in the leadership position and, and giving that type of feedback. So, I mean, I do think that there's a difference between male and females uh, in, in that sense a little bit, but I don't think it's, it's big. And I, and I think the opportunity for both is, is, is there at least. And kind of going back to something that you said, you know, fake it, like the fake it till you make it. I mean, being honest is such, a, like, I don't know. Sometimes people just, like, it's good to see. They like to see the candid honestness. Like one time I had a job interview and this guy was like on a flight and he was like nine hours into, into calls. And he was like, so Keegan, tell me about your sales experience. And I was like, I, like, I got none. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that my hard goods experience at sport check is going to help me sell drugs at your company. It's not. And yeah. he was like, he was like, he paused for a second and he chuckled and he's like, what? And I was like, man, like, I don't have sales experience. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you right now. I don't. And that got me the next interview. Yeah. Like opened up the conversation so much. Yeah. It, they don't want to see like, like obviously in your interview, you want to hype yourself up a bit, but you also want to show that you're a team player, that you're willing to, you know, put yourself on the line, but also just say, I don't know, because there's no way they should expect you to come out of university knowing everything that a 20 year executive would know, right? You're obviously going to make mistakes. So they don't want that type of mentality on the team. So it's you know like, that's a great point. You know, it's really funny about that. I saw, I saw something online the other day and it was like, social media posting it was like looking for an executive at a social media social media uh business and they wanted their person to have 15 years of social media experience i was like bro social media has been out for 15 years they're like who do you want yeah. like <laughs> you want you want like who do you want it's ridiculous but it's yeah like, no the it's it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah i think it said like who do you want tom from uh what was the like when you had tumblr or something like that I was like, that's jokes. Yeah. I wanted to go back to something that you said too. Um, you, you were talking about being comfortable at work and how that's a huge component of, you know, being confident. And you and I had this conversation about how hard it is to be yourself at work. One, why do you think it's so hard to be about what, why do you think it's so hard to be yourself at work? And two, like, how does that make you feel, I guess, on a day-to-day basis that, you, you're not yourself or you are yourself. How do you manage that? Um, so first thing, let's go one question at a time. Cause I talk yeah. so much that sometimes it's hard for me to be like, okay, what was the second question that he asked? So the first thing you said, it, how is it, it's hard to be yourself in a workplace or why is yeah. it hard to be yourself in a workplace? Why? Yeah, right? yeah. Um, well, sometimes you're in the corporate environment and everybody else feels that everybody feels that type of tension of, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing um, and you want to kind of stay politically correct. So I think that is like, it makes an atmosphere of that little bit of tension that you 
you feel it when you go to leave that safe bubble, you know? Um, so I think that makes it hard a little bit to be yourself. Um, but there are people and it's really nice when you see, it really starts with leadership. When you see leadership being those people who are engaging in those conversations that might be a little bit out of that comfortable spectrum, almost a little bit, but you know, still relatively say comfortable talk, right? Like it engage, it engages you more and it makes you more comfortable in stepping out of your bubble. Uh, so I, yeah, like I said, that, that environment around you of everybody feeling like that is definitely a little bit tense and you just don't want to say the wrong things. You know, you don't want to be that guy who says something stupid because sometimes in those meetings, some people are very serious. You know, a lot of what I say is always for a joke, you know, yeah. I try to try to make a funny joke, but some people are in that room being like, I, that's not what we're here for. And they're going to keep that mentality, you know? Unless you have a, a good joke, like anyone will laugh. Sure. Like always, <laughs> always nail a good joke if you can. But, you know, taking that step out of your comfort zone, are people going to laugh? Whatever. That's always tough, I find. Yeah. And I'm I'm much of the same way. Like I do struggle knowing when to be serious at times. And because I'm I, I always think a joke lightens the mood, no matter the the kind of scenario. So I'm always like, you know, it's super t- tense right now. Why not just throw out a joke? And that's kind of how I've always been. But when I entered the workforce, I realized that maybe that's not always the best solution because some people are actually here to be very serious. And I've had lashings before. I well, not lashings, <laughs> but I've been spoken to before by management by being like, this is a serious moment. That that joke was not appropriate. And I'm like, okay. Well, like I, really? you have to own it, like own it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It I wasn't mean, like too bad. It was just like I, I, I made a joke and it was, I guess, targeted, and it was very immature of me. I didn't mean anything. Like, there was no ill intent behind it. Yeah. Um, but it was probably disrespect on the on the line of disrespectful. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know because it's it's such a fine line. You don't know where it exists. Like, yeah, sometimes like a hurtful joke is still a funny joke, you know, like and, and it, it's about how you execute it a lot of the yeah. time about whether it ends up getting the good response. And, you know, so it's, it's a fine line and it takes balls to, to walk it, but yeah. it sometimes it's worth it. Yeah. You really break the ice. Yeah. I like, you know, being the jokester, it is, it is hard sometimes because you always feel pressure to make a joke if you've always lived that way or people know you that way. So it's like three months, they're used to it. But I remember my first week, like I was told the the workplace was like um, pretty strict with their dress code. And then a week later you find out they're, they're not that strict with it. Like there is a, there is some looseness to it or there is some ways to play around. But when you come in, you just want to be so prepared. You want to dress like I went in for my interview and I think the first day I wore a suit jacket or the first day to work, I wore a suit jacket and everyone laughed at me that I was wearing a suit jacket. I'm like, I thought this was what we were told to do. Like it says <laughs> business casual or like, you know, um, semi-formal kind of on, on the dress code. But then a week later you realize people are wearing t-shirts and shorts. Like it's not yeah. that big of a deal. I don't know. Like, is that something that you've related to? Uh, I relate to it. It almost ties back to what we said earlier, but like, like experience in the workplace to become more comfortable, you know, like you get more comfortable, you nail those jokes, you know, the older people, like, they're more comfortable, they crush those jokes, you know, the, you get more comfortable now, like, when I first came in, I did the same as you, I just, like, button up with dress pants, I kind of like it, to be honest, like, I kind of like the business look, but other people aren't doing it, and I think it's just an experience that you get over time, a comfortability in the workplace as you get to know people, where you start to bend those rules a little bit, and you don't feel as, like, you can get a big slap on the wrist, because of it, you know? Yeah. No, relationships in the workplace definitely matter to me. And it's like, there is a, there is a place of playing office politics for sure that comes into, it's not even like really office politics. Like to me, I feel like I'm a genuine person. I'm always real. I'm not trying to fake it till I make it. I'm literally just trying to build relationships with people and that's worked to my benefit. But also knowing that you do have to impress certain people and they have to know your name in order to to have any foot in the door for a move up. Like you're not going to be able to sit there only knowing specific people well. You have to know all the management well. You have to know each division well because a lot of the times those are decisions by committee about who gets raises. And if they don't know your name, they're not going to be like, yeah, I know who he is. His work speaks for himself, right? Mm-hmm. Like. So how does that feel knowing that you have to play office politics? Cause I think that's something that a lot of people find really hard too. Yeah. 
I don't know. It, it always it rings a bell to my mom said, well, I think my mom said to me one time and I, I like, I don't like it, but it, it it's true. And she's like, squeaky wheel gets the grease. And it's, it's so true because they won't know there's a problem or that you've done something unless you've told them that, you know, and that's so important. And a lot of people, including myself, you don't want to be that type of person who's like, Hey, look what I did. Look what I completed. Like, like, aren't I so great? But sometimes you have to do that because if you don't, you won't get recognized for those things. You won't get your name out there. And it's just so important. Like, I, I hate to see it saying, cause it's like squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like that sounds like a bad thing, but it's true. You know, mm-hmm. and it is. you have to play the office politics much. No, like you can, but I would say, try to have a more positive mindset about it. Like go in there every day, communicate with people nicely, be friendly, try to be yourself. And, you know, those type of things will come naturally. Like for you, you like to be like candid and joke around in the office. You're going to build relationships out of that regardless. Still stay professional, the people you have to be professional with. But, and yeah, the office politics in a way, like know your ins and outs. Like I said, make sure that you get recognized for the things that you do, or at least like people are aware of the things you're doing. That is so important at the end of the day. Um, Yeah. So I guess there is an aspect of the office politics, but yeah. I guess don't get too caught up in it yeah. or else you'll get, you'll get sunk. Like you'll, you'll end up doing bad at it realistically. You know, you can't take it too seriously. I don't think you can take work too seriously overall and stress builds up all that type of stuff and you won't win. Yeah. And don't play, don't play drama. Like that's a card. No. Definitely don't oh play. People think politics, they think talking shit and spreading drama and being part of that. There's no crossover necessary. Zero. No. No. People, but some people are. Some people are drama starters. Some people like the drama. They bring it where they go. Like, it's, I don't know. It's not really me. I don't like being involved in it at all, but I actually haven't been involved in an office drama yet, but I know one day it'll come. Like, it'll happen. I don't think I have either, but, and I stayed out of, like, when I was a Don, I tried to stay out of that drama oh. as much as possible because I knew things were going on. But I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I, like, literally don't talk to me. Like, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear yeah. it. I Or I listened and I never spread it because I'm like, this is not anything I want to be part of. And yeah. But I also don't want, want to know what's going on. Um, so I can definitely relate in that sense. Um, but kind of going back to what you said about this squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know, one thing that I think is really true is that office space really caters to extroverts. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true too? I think, I think it is true. Yeah. I, I, it sucks. Um, and, uh, I, and I've talked, I've talked to some like really great leaders before and they say there's all types of, there's all types of leaders, introverts and extroverts. And I agree with him. He's an extrovert himself, but you know, I constantly see extroverts in the position, but then again, you know, work, the work that you do, the performance that you end up putting out there has a lot to say, probably more than whether you're sociable or not. Like, are you completing your tasks and goals, the work that you're doing, are you doing it well? That almost is more important than your sociability skills. Um, And you see a lot of introverts, make it up because of that but you know it's it's i think it's unfair to say that there's equal balance between extroverts and introverts and leadership opportunities i i especially the really high up ones your ability to talk and be smooth with your talking and talk confidently is a huge skill and, and that's what people really follow along with with leadership if you think about it yeah and and I yeah I I think the same way and introverts do a really good job of handling kind of one on one relationships while extroverts are really good at, at playing to a crowd so they both definitely both have their strengths they both definitely both have the skills but I'm really interested now in going to leadership styles you said you've talked to a lot of leaders um, great leaders what have been some of the biggest takeaways that you've had from them in your life and and in your early career I before I started my job. I met with this guy who I, a friend of a friend's dad and he's the CEO of a big company. And he always like really liked me. Funny enough, it was an ex-girlfriend's dad, but I messaged her. <laughs> I was like, Hey, like this is so out of the blue and so random, but like, can I talk to your dad about like business? Can we just have a sit down? Can you get some questions for me? She was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Like here's his number. And I met with him. And one of the things he was like, CEO of like sales. And 
I said, you know, I don't think that I can sell someone a product that I don't believe in. Like, I don't think that's me. Like, I, I don't like taking advantage of people. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, how, how do you, like, how do you do sales? Like, if that's really a thing. And he said, at the end of the day, like, it's not so much about the product. And I'm not a professional salesman. I don't really have that much experience. But he said, just try to really help people. You know, like, that's what salesmen do. Like, they're there to just, but to help them best that they can. And I never really thought about that it like that. And like, I love helping people. Like I love mm -hmm. meeting with someone like, what's your problem? How can I solve it for you? So that really changed my perspective about sales from that sleazy salesman to someone who's now here to help you with the problem that you have, you know? And that became so much more natural to me. Like that was a big piece of advice. Um, and lines of like leadership and whatnot. I don't know. I don't, ask questions about leadership i more watch their style of leadership and mm. it's always uh, a lot of the time it's it's people who have vision about things and see big picture rather than looking at the very small things um less stressful people and like you said a lot of time extroverts i don't know what, what do you notice in like people's leadership a lot of that yeah i that's a good question it's it's typically how they work with people that i care the most about like mm -hmm. Um, you know, one thing that I always love to do is know everyone's name that I work with and it's obviously hard, um, but I look at how management treats people throughout, you know, one thing I watched at my company was how is our management, how are our leaders interacting with people throughout COVID? Like that to me was the number one thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's definitely some some things I, I agreed with and di disagreed with, um, and it was a hard time for everyone for sure. But that is was probably the latest one that I'm like, how are they handling employees? How are they encouraging people to work from home? Are they asking me, you know, how my job is doing, or am they, are they asking me how I'm doing in my life working from home? Like, what was their first question? That was a huge one to me. Um, a lot of the times, it's more about not talking work. I want them to know about my life and I want them to care more about my life so they can ask me questions about my life, not about my work. Mm -hmm. I think that that has always been something that I've really cared about because I could really care less about how you function in your role. And like, that's how I always want to be perceived as a leader in the future. I'm much more big person. I'm much more, I want to, you know, customer relationships. When I'm on the phone with the people I'm on the phone with who are senior vice presidents, like C-suite executives at Fortune 500 companies, and I've, I've had conversations with them before, and I know that they were about to go on vacation, or I know they're going to vacation, I ask them um, something about how that vacation went. Or if I read their bio before, I ask them, oh, I'm like, oh, I've been to Detroit. Like, what's your favorite restaurant or something? Like, like literally something so small. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of how I like to treat people is find a common interest or a common point, ask them a question about it, and then be human first. That's always yeah. been my thing is your job, your title comes after your name. And that's for a reason is because you're a human first. And that title only really gives significance to your name. But really... It, it doesn't define who you are and it shouldn't define who you are. So I guess mm -hmm. that's why I look at like leadership for, or like good leaders as. Yeah. And I think a lot of good leaders don't look at themselves above the people around them. That's another yeah. good point. Like you'll get, you'll, you'll have distrust with the people that you work with. A lot of them see you eye to eye and like they have those conversations that are very humanistic. You know, I think that's a very, that's a characteristic of like a good leader, I would say. Mm hmm. 100%. So, when it comes to creating culture, like what culture do you like? Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about cultural differences after, but like what is important for you in a culture at a workplace? Like what do you look for when you're in a job interview or, or even now? Like how do you work to build culture? Oh, the interesting one. Me personally, like I don't look for too much. I would say it's nice to have the office space and all that type of stuff. The people is probably the most important. Like are you surrounded by people that you can be yourself with that, that are easy to talk to that are accepting of what I guess of if you throwing out ideas and not where I work with right now is actually really good with that. That was kind of a surprise. People are very like, try, you know, try, say something, try your best. And if you don't, if it doesn't work, that's like totally fine. And that's something that I really like. Um, I don't know, man. I like, it, it's weird to say that I'm not a huge, 
like look at the culture type of thing because it's so common amongst so many people and it is so important at the end of the day like i will probably not like my job if the culture's not right i guess it's just not something that i consider too much uh how about yourself i think culture is something that i find really important but what i've realized over the course of of being in a career for like a year or two years is i don't trust people when they say like management when they say the culture is good like i my my approach to finding a job is i speak to someone in my role the management of that role and like the hr person so like i try to find three people in that in that company before i actually apply for the role or um like move on i think that offers a lot and i always ask the person who has my role what is the culture like um because i think they give the best idea of what the culture is actually truly is um mm-hmm. when you go and obviously the management's going to play up their culture a bit they're going to talk about what they do hr is going to play up their culture a bit um, because they're higher positions so they obviously know more people they um, probably go out for drinks a bit more because they've been there longer but what is the role like for someone in this position now um mm-hmm. so i i typically do ask questions about culture i'm i ask like you know what do you do outside of work do you encourage it do you plan it um one thing I always ask is, do you have a book club? Because I like to read. Um, (laughs) and I would say like, you know, I'd like to join a book club or start a book club if I'm here. Um, that's one thing that I've, I tried to do, uh, during COVID, but then it's, it's pretty hard to get everyone to align on one book. Um, (laughs) that's what I found, but culture is important to me, but I don't see culture as beer pong or not beer pong, like ping pong tables, billiard tables, uh, drinks on Friday. That's not how I see culture, um, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of young people coming out of university see it as. Do you agree with that or not agree with that? Because obviously you're not really in a company with that, like ping pong tables, are you? Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm not. And it's now that I think about it, it's weird. When you break down culture in like different companies, there's almost two levels to it. There's like the culture of the immediate group that you work with. And then there's the culture of the bigger organization around you. And the immediate group that you work with relies a lot of the time on a few people who are like really building that culture. You know, that that is so huge. You have a few people, usually like a little more extroverted who are and inclusive, who are bringing people into that space and getting you like feeling accepted. And I think that's huge because that that's just, that's when you feel included. That's when you feel good about being able to share your ideas. And then there's the bigger culture of the company. And then that almost affects the smaller group. When you have a big company that is looking at things like diversity and inclusion, and like, are they addressing current cultural changes, things like that? Are they being open and transparent about that? That's a really big part of culture as well. And mm-hmm. that ends up influencing those smaller cultural groups that, that form in the office between people. Um, so I think that's really important. And the place that I work, work in, no, we don't, we are a little bit on the, the leading edge. Like if we have intramural leagues, we have basketball court, we got a gym, you know, we have walking treadmill desks, which are actually like great. Like I, I mm-hmm. use them. I haven't used them in a while because we haven't been in office, but having those small things, like having the option to move around freely, go use those things, take a break from my work. Like, do they respect your own um, autonomy at work is another big thing for me. Like I can work, I can work from nine to five every day, but if I got to leave at three to do something on my own, I'm free to do that. And then the belief that I'm going to make that up and, and still be a good work at the end of the day, like that's really big for me, actually something I would say. Um, but yeah, no, we, we avoid that. I don't know, hippie's not the right word, but <laughs> you know, ping pong tables, all that type of stuff. Like you you've said, you know, it's it's flash, but there's bigger picture to it, like integrity of the company. Like are they transparent? Do they tell their employees what they need to hear? Those are huge components. If you have that ping pong table stuff, it like great. Like that's sick for employee engagement and whatnot. But there's more to it, big picture that's much more important. Yeah, hundred percent. I I worked at a company that had a ping pong table, and half the time it was covered <laughs> with things, so you couldn't even use it. So yeah. it was like this is just useless storage space. But also, I didn't really get along with the people there. I never really felt welcomed by the actual environment. So I'm like, what is the point of these things if mm-hmm. I really never feel like I'm included in it? Like, and if I look at places like. Um, Shopify that do a lot of that, those things, emerging tech companies. I think that 
these perks are just used to get people into the door, but it, it's it's not what makes people stick around, right? It's it's mm-hmm. Shopify saying during COVID and being one of the first companies, I think, to say, yeah, you can work from anywhere in the world now. We are fully digital. We're a fully remote company. To me, that's mm-hmm. culture. Or companies that uh, do pension plans still because pension plans are so hard to come by in a lot of startups nowadays. It's very much like an old school kind of corporation thing. Yeah. Um, I think that those are are much more important in the longevity of people sticking around. Like, you know, I've been home now for five months and I would love a treadmill desk like that. I, I think about that sometimes, but my house isn't big enough. Um, but something like that would be really interesting to me more than a ping pong table because it's actually about getting me well and talks about you know, a health and it's, and it's allowing mm-hmm. me to move around and, and be flexible at work. And, and, you know, being at home, I realized how much autonomy I have. I didn't always feel it in the office because you have a desk and you have a workspace, but our company wasn't big enough to have multiple workspaces around. Like we're not, we're still pretty like small in, in terms of it, but I liked how our company didn't, or the company I work at doesn't really put those flashy things at the top of the list of culture. It's more about human centered relationships and not about Mm -hmm. ping pong tables and and beer on Friday afternoons. Yeah. And uh, you know what it makes me think of is when we worked together at at Wilfrid Laurier and the atmosphere that they would create for Don's, they created a great atmosphere. Like it was, it was all cheer and it was like all the time you're involved. But a lot of the time to me, like in the, in, it felt fake, you know, like Mm. it was like, I love the enthusiasm and I love your, ability to to, because it worked at the end of the day it worked they created a culture where everyone's you know very excited to be here that's the thing that you always be like i'm so excited to be here like it's gonna be great but it's like dude for me it was like do i really feel like that like like i know people are telling me these things but do i really feel like i want to be here and then that's when like those smaller cultural groups make you want to be there those your closer group like close group of friends in that space where you guys are just tight you bond you the stuff outside of donning is funny and relatable to you you know mm-hmm. and and you're really inclusive and you bring other people into that group i think that's where it's like cement between the bricks you know like i yeah. think that's what's what really sets diff- the difference um when at the end of the day whether you're going to enjoy the place that you work at or not yeah because i wasn't a huge fan of hawk weekend like to me no. oh i <laughs> i hate cheer like i yeah. I'm not a spirit person. So when uh, I was asked to go to those things, I'm like, I don't want to be here, which makes it really hard to get your students to want to be there too, which is like the whole point. Right. And, mm-hmm. and obviously there's, there's those things involved. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's definitely those pods. It's the friends that uh, you have that make you be like, yeah, I want to go because they're going to be there. I want to experience this with them. So I totally mm-hmm. relate to that too. It's, it, it, it does matter about your little pods and, and building friendships in those ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're right, like Hawk Weekend, like, I'm not super excited about it. But the, you, like, you got to realize as well that that weekend does make a lot of people happier at the end of the mm-hmm. day. You know, you do promote that overall culture of positivity to the whole group, which is kind of like a larger corporate culture. And you, you promote that and then you kind of let people do as they please with it. Um, and hopefully they take it in the right direction. They can't, but at least you're guiding them into that like positive workspace, which is the way I look at it. Yeah. Um, critical for any company to have that type of mindset about it, you know? Yeah. And that kind of goes into the idea of, uh, body language. Um, you know, for me, if I'm not happy with a situation, my body language is, is really bad. Um, typically not like encouraging or welcoming. Um, so I think the idea of body language in the workplace is something that we have to talk about too, in terms of how you respond and interact with other people, because I think what, what do they say? Uh, body language is 90% of, of human communication. I don't know what the actual like fact is, but I think that's, that's somewhere up there. It is an important part of being a young professional, whether you're sitting in your chair in an office room or interacting with people. Like, what do you think about body language and how important it is? It's so important. I mean, that's, it's, it's critical. There's a reason why so many companies right now are struggling with how do we keep engagement up? You know, like, especially if you're working with external people, you're on a business call, you're on a sales call and you're just on a phone call or you're having a conversation like this is good because we have zoom going, we get to see each other, kind of react off each other's emotions. You miss a lot of that in, in where we're at right now with COVID and a lot of companies are struggling with it. 
and they don't know how things are going to go moving forward. Like, are we ever going to be in, you know, a conference with 700 people again? Like, no, that's the real situation that companies are dealing with. And it's funny, you say, Kabaddi language is 90% of the, com of the communication. I haven't heard that in a while. And it just makes perfect sense to the problems we're having right now. So it is super important when you're giving presentations, when you're just talking with people, that engagement of bringing them in with the, like the emotions that you have to make them feel the emotions you have body language is so important and, and and reading other people's body language too although the one thing that's tough is you know as you get into those really long days of of business meetings people lose the energy to really have that body language like that that's one thing that you know i i know people i had a meeting with someone i said you know when you disagree with someone like, do you openly say it? Like, do you cause confrontation in the, in the meeting? And the guy said, it depends on my energy level that day, you know? Mm. And do you have those energy levels to use that body language to jump in when you want to jump in? You know, that, that's, a, that's a whole different topic. That's something different. You just, I don't know what you got to do for that exercise more. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's just a very important topic or it, skill. Yeah. I'm fortunate because I never have those long meetings. I think the longest meeting I've ever been in at work is like 30 minutes. Like I, mm -hmm. I swear most of my time is we have a morning meeting every day where we go over today's tasks. But other than that, like I rarely have that many meetings, which is great. Um, it allows me to control my own day, which also mm -hmm. makes it hard because I have to control my own day and find things to do. Like a lot of people have meetings and they leave a meeting. So they're in meetings like four hours a day and then they have four hours of like actual work that's kind of going on or prepping for other meetings. For me, it's, it's, I have a 30 minute meeting and then eight hours are up to me and my control about how I like do my day. So it's very self-motivating. It's very self, um, mm -hmm. self, I guess, driven and, and directed, which is nice, but it's also hard. Like if I was just coming in on this job, and it was my first week, like starting a new job right now would be so hard. I can't even imagine what that would be like for, for grads who are graduating now or graduating in April and they have to go into this business world being like, I don't know anyone on my team. I've, I know people that have never met anyone on their team and I don't know how you could do that. Like that would be so yeah. hard for me. It would, it would be tough. You just got to like get used to being wrong for at least the first three months, like try your best, but I don't know how you're going to start to and, and build those relationships with people. Like, I have people in my company who started, they haven't met any of their coworkers and they've been working there for five months now, you know, like that's tough, but I don't know. It is what it is. It's times, brother. Mm -hmm. It is the time. <laughs> yeah. I also, I wanted to go back um, to something that you said about leadership and you asked me, um, what is something I find really important in a good leader? And I wanted to say vulnerability is, is one. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about authenticity. I think it kind of ties into it, but I want to add vulnerability. It's something I've been thinking about over the last 20 minutes. Um, what are your thoughts on, on vulnerability as a, as a huge component of, of leadership? Massive. And, and even like, I, I think about it with masculinity as well. Like guys don't want to be vulnerable. I mean, let's, let's start with leadership. It, it's being able to admit when you're wrong huge you know people see when you're wrong if you try to bullshit and be like no nah, like i'm not wrong this is still it. people see that so you got to be okay with taking your wrong sometimes and that's part of vulnerability um being able to connect with people um and being like i'm at your level i'm not above you you know that's in the sense of vulnerable vulnerability you know you're willing to take that step down and be like hey like what's wrong with like what's wrong what's going on like let's have a really open conversation so that and, and it's a feeling almost, you know, like when someone reaches you on your own, like human level, like you can feel that. So that's something in itself. And I, I think with males specifically, it's something I, I've always thought it's like coming to grips with your vulnerabilities. I always wonder, does it make you a stronger male or does it make you a weaker male? Because in my head, when I was younger, I used to always be like, if I have a problem, like bear it, no problems. Like you don't, chill you know like type of mm -hmm. thing and then i got as i got older i was like well i wonder whether it's better to embrace vulnerabilities and so that was something that i guess i would try to do more often is be like okay like boys tried to meet people at their own level never try to put people down and I, I can't think of a specific example but you know embrace that something's wrong and maybe you're not perfect on this level and then be okay moving forward with it and i've always thought does that help or am i embracing anxieties and my bracing other things like that and i think that's that's a really 
you know, that's a, a back and forth. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree that embracing your vulnerabilities can be really hard. So um, I, I do believe in leading from a place of vulnerability when I was a Don. Um, so to give it some context, I hated my first year experience, like absolutely mm-hmm. hated it. I didn't like my floor. I didn't like the experience that I had. And so that's one of the reasons I became a Don. I think sometimes you can want to do something because you either love the experience or because you hated it. And for me, it was because I wa- I hated it. And so I remember on the first day I spoke to my floor of 21 students and I said, listen, everyone, I hated my first year experience. I'm not going to lie to you, but the reason I'm here for you today is because I want to make sure that you had the first year experience that I never had, but I can't do it by myself. I need your help. I need you guys to lead this as well. Um, and because of that, because I think I was vulnerable and open on the first day and I shared that this isn't going to be the heaven that you you're, you think it's going to be, this isn't going to be all sunshines and rainbows. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have fights. I'm going to fail you. You're going to let each other down. There's going to be drama. Mm-hmm. I, I was just very open about that. And that actually, I think stopped or at least minimized the amount of drama that my floor had in total. And it really built a healthy community. Like, sure, there's things that that happened that I only found out about after. That's the whole experience and life of being a Don. Yeah. But I really took that that idea of leading from vulnerability, and I think that changed the whole experience. And I remember students coming out to me after at the end of the year saying, you know, like when you said that on the first day, I I really took that into my heart, and I wanted to be part of making this a good year for you and doing things for you and and doing it for ourselves. And I saw that. And you know, my floor was kind of crazy. They were kind of wild. They got in trouble quite a bit. But at the end of the day, they were a unit. Like they stood mm-hmm. by each other. And that's that's like a key example of what I've seen, which is one of the reasons I even started this podcast is because I saw how much vulnerability worked in my life. I see how much it affects my relationships with my guy friends. Like there's a group of of eight of us or seven of us and we're all pretty vulnerable with each other. Like we share things that, you know, typically guys say not to share with each other, but we think it's, it's created such bonds between Mm -hmm. us. Um, And I've always hated the idea of, you know, you can't have these, these types of conversations in the workplace because mm-hmm. to me, they're what make people stronger. So when I got to work the first day, man, my old manager, um, he was so himself. It was admirable. Like, so yeah. himself, like it was eye opening how much he believed in himself as a human and was so comfortable in his own shoes and his own way of living. And like him and I had some great conversations about that. And it really opened up the world to me. Like I didn't understand it. I didn't have the same passions as him. So it was like hard to get a lot, like hard to like, you know, have the same charisma that he had, but I always respected him for it because I thought it was so true. You know, who's the perfect example of that. And every guy knows this is Phil Dunphy from modern family. He's literally the perfect example. There's nothing like statistically cool about Phil Dunphy, but he's the coolest guy alive because, and every guy wants to be him. And it's kind of like what you're saying. Like, you know, he's, he's not, he's not hard. You know, he's a vulnerable guy on, on the set and in the character that he plays, but every guy loves that because it's funny and it's authentic and it's something you can relate to at the end of the day. And I definitely relate to, it's just when I think of it in my head, I don't use the word vulnerability. I think this is why I've always thought your show is great is I I've always thought the word honesty, you know, being honest with people. And it's when we talk about it the way we do, it's the same thing. You know, are you willing to say those things that are honest, but don't put you in a good spotlight, you know, like, and you have to realize that one of the things I've realized is, is when I am honest and it potentially affects me negatively that that negative moment only exists in that moment. Moving forward is so much better because you were honest and you allowed yourself to be vulnerable in that state. Um, and I always have that conversation with my mom. She's very business formal about a lot of things. And she's like, Keegan, like, I know you try to be like honest about things. You try to be very like open and, and transparent about things. Sometimes you have to watch it in the business setting. And, you know, mm-hmm. tying it back to the business, it's true. There's, some aspects I still disagree with her in a bit like that open honestness but is huge it's it's at the end of the day like yeah embrace that little bit of badness and it gets so much worse I mean so much better mm-hmm. um but in the business you have to have a little bit of balance between that and I think that's even that's where this conversation started between me and you was where does that balance lie between be, 
you know, being that honest, vulnerable person and being that business professional. Yeah. Uh, and that's an, I think a lot of people, like we said, a lot of people struggle with that. hundred percent. Like I struggle with it. Like when I was in the office, struggled with it every day. I'm like, do I say this? Do I not say this? Like how charged up politically or socially can these conversations be? Like, you know, I, I hated the idea after leaving school where I was having conversations about race and society and culture every day because that was my major. I hated the idea that I couldn't carry, like take that with me, you know? Yeah. And which is the number one reason I started this podcast. And it's great (laughs) because I've had the COO of my company. He listens to my podcast sometimes because, and he, cause I recently started a podcast with work. Um, Mm. and you know, I, I, he gave me permission to do that because he's like, I've listened to some of your podcasts. I've seen how much you've grown. And like, that was the moment I realized, okay, this is a place I want to be because Mm -hmm. they listen, literally listen to stuff outside of work to see the work I'm putting into my passions. And they're allowing me to bring it into the company, um, which I thought was really cool. He gave me a lot of words of encouragement there. And even though it's just something so small, like it was like a two sentence thing. It means so much to me. And for him to be able to do that show that he shows that he's a good leader. He's very comfortable. You know, it's kind of an honest thing um, that you wouldn't really expect from a lot of men, I guess, to be that honest about something about masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just couldn't live in a world where I couldn't have these conversations. Yeah. And even on a side note, like what I said in the beginning, like when you find your passion, like opportunities arise when you're like following your passion, you know, like you and your podcast, like you started doing your podcast, and it might have been a small thing at the time. Like, it's not like income was on your mind when you were doing it. It was something that you wanted to do. What, you're 38 episodes deep or something like that? And now the CEO, COO of your company is saying, hey, like, I think what you're doing is sick. First off, you're, he knows who you are. He has an impression of you, a natural impression of you. And you have opportunities because of it. So that's kind of like what I said at the beginning, like, like why I would sit with Jeff Bezos and what I, why I believe so strongly in the things he says is because talks about finding your passion and doing it and money and opportunities will come you know it's an endless resource they will come you know so i think that's really cool and i mean not even related to what you said but i don't know i think it's just a really cool point yeah (laughs) thanks (laughs) i appreciate it no it's, it's been cool how it's trans like when i first started the podcast i had no intention of of making it and starting one with the company like i kind of toyed with it but now that it now i have it's a live product i get to speak with like i literally get to have recorded interviews with like c-suite executives and senior vice presidents uh, mm-hmm. of like amazing companies and it's so cool because you're actually your product is tied to that conversation with the person which offers a lot more credibility to me you know the 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 workplace sees that i'm the only person that can do it which is nice um but i wanted to go back to something that you said earlier and i forget exactly what it was but it was it was about being yourself like how we started and, and kind of being yourself in the workplace mm-hmm. how like a lot of men find it hard to be accounted. You were talking about masculinity and, and honesty and, and how it ties in. Like, why do you think that you buried so many things when you were younger um, and, and had that kind of trouble with masculinity? And, and how do you think you've been able to overcome it now? I think when I was young, well, I grew up in a household. My dad is a very stern guy. Like he's, like we're not emotional people, you know, like that's, that's never been us. And that's kind of how I was raised. And it was never like I was repressing emotions or anything like that. Um, I just, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really internalize them when they would happen. And then to be honest, I'm a pretty stress-free person a lot of the time. So that was kind of helpful. And there's aspects of that old me that I actually think are good. Um, My ability to just handle those situations and not be too emotionally affected by it was a good thing at times. Um, but then as I got older, I started realizing like, Hey, like sometimes you have feelings that are like stronger, I guess. And I started thinking about it more. And one of the things that's funny is growing up, uh, I'd separated parents and uh, I lived with my dad all the time. And uh, I didn't see my mom too much. I would see her, like a normal amount, but not a lot. And I started becoming better friends with my mom, like mm. very good. Like my, to this, my mom is my best friend to this day. I, I would say like hundred percent, like she gives me the type of advice and 
stuff that you don't get in a normal friendship almost. And uh, actually being really close, having like a really close female friend I found, and I've had those before, but my, I guess my mom, that really opened up my eyes to like the emotional side of it. And it's mm-hmm. not in a bad way. It's, and it's, it's not like you just, I don't know, you learn more. I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly what it is. I just became more aware of yeah. emotions grow, growing up because I think younger, I was very much like always pretty much just, you know, like chill, funny, but I wasn't good at handling, you know, and breakups. So about breakups, I would just sit there kind of like, I don't know what to say. My brain doesn't have anything to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting. Now you, I'm more comfortable sharing emotions, stuff like that. Uh, so that's probably one of the things you get more comfortable sharing emotions. Yeah. But it's funny how it starts with my friendship with my mom. No, yeah, I think it's really that's really cool and and nice, like good of you to say because sometimes we we as men look for a lot of the characteristics of what it means to be a man from your dad, and you're like, okay, this mm-hmm. is my dad. Everything about him is masculine. Everything about my mom is feminine, but not, that's obviously not true. Like my mom has a lot of masculine traits and there's studies that say as a woman becomes older, she becomes more masculine as a man becomes older, becomes more feminine. Obviously it's, Mm. is if you're in a relationship, you, you kind of like meet in the middle and and you learn about each other, right? Like that's Mm kind of how it works. Your social circles, as you get older, when you have a wife, um, you lean on each other, you pick up some of the, each other's traits. That's something that someone said to me on the podcast. I'm not sure how accurate it is. So take that with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think it is true because for myself, I see myself as a really emotional person. Like when I was younger, I was sensitive, um, super sensitive. Like I was always called sensitive mainly by women, like normally in in like a negative way, but mostly by women. And, I still don't understand why being sensitive is bad because a lot of people like I value that within myself and, and I still have to work through those emotions. It's been a good training for me, but Mm -hmm. I, I do one thing I've never understood about the whole masculine feminine thing is, you know, calling women emotional from a, from the current male perspective is pretty toxic, but I don't think the underlying message is bad. Like, I don't think that women being told that they're emotional is all bad because for me, it's helped being around women has helped me learn to be more emotional and share more Mm -hmm. of those things. Like it's not a bad thing to be emotional. I just hate the way that we use the language that it is a bad thing, but it's fundamentally not. And I, in the same Mm -hmm. way, I, I don't think men being stoic is a bad trait. I think stoicism can be really good if you learn how to, because to me, stoicism is just learning how internal, like managing your emotions well and then not responding emotionally. And mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with, with anything to do with saying you can't be emotional. It's just don't respond based on emotion. And so I, mm-hmm. I, that's one of the things I've always been like, well, it's not bad to be stoic. It's not bad to be emotional, but the connotations that we use them are bad. And uh, that's mm-hmm. one, of, that's one of the issues I've always had with, with the whole argument is, I think women are really good leaders because of that. And, and we're seeing that now. Yeah. And it's like, you're right. Like it's, if you, if you say you're emotional, it's almost like there's a stigma behind it, you know? Whereas like, if you take that stigma away and you just say you're emotional, that's a normal thing. You know, like there's nothing necessarily wrong with being emotional. There's just, like I said, the stigma there. Um, but I don't think that it's necessarily true in different situations. It, that it's necessarily true. Um, and it's funny, I think that as we get older, the fact that guys don't willingly share their emotions, um, it really starts to eat them up inside. You know, like, like I, I have, like, it's similar to you. I have a friend group that is open with each other. You know, like we don't act differently than the way we are. And because of that, like our friend group is really tight. Um, and I've actually had other guys from different friend groups be like, man, like, I love your guys' friend group because the guys that I hang around, they're all like, 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 what's up, nah, yo, you know, what are you saying? You know, like, they yeah. try to, like, they try to be cool. Like, they try to be, like, cool to each other the whole time. They don't actually, like, have any authenticity. They don't have any real self in that friend group. And so, like, it kind of doesn't actually form the real friendships. So that's, yeah, like, I've had guys say that they enjoy that about a group. I'm trying to backtrack to what you just said. 
Sometimes you talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about masculine and feminine energies, stoicism, emotional. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's naturally different energies, but yeah, like, oh, and like I said, men become more emotional as we age or they, they bottle it up and they're not comfortable sharing that. Especially as we get older, we have more stressful lives. You're starting work. You have bigger relationship problems. You could be having health problems, right? And all of a sudden, you have never been in a place where you're comfortable to share that with people. And then this is where like my relationship with my mom was really built. And I see other guys who have developed friendships with girls where they share those emotions with, and they become such more well-rounded men because of it. So Mm -hmm. it, it is interesting. I think guys do lack a place where they can show that emotional outlet or have that emotional outlet. Um, and I've seen guys grow because of the relationships where they can have that. And it's specifically what I've seen in my, my history, it's usually with women. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Which, which, yeah, which I think is interesting because it shows that one, we're not incapable of having the conversation in the first place. We're very no. capable humans. We, we obviously have these things. It's two the system of masculinity that we have is so built up that men can't share those things with other men, which is a huge problem, which is why I love to, like a lot of people might say like, Luke, you don't really have conversations with women on your podcast. And I say, well, you know, like it's really for men. And Mm -hmm. I think the, the conversations we have can really open a lot of doors to women understanding men. But a a lot of the the conversations I want to have are more geared towards men, but I have books of authors by women who I really want to have on this podcast. Like it's not yeah. going to be men all along. It's just a lot of men are interested in being on the podcast. Yeah. No, and you're right. Like there is a problem with, I wouldn't even necessarily, I don't know if I would classify it as a problem, but there is a situation where men are, uh, they, they don't feel they can share their emotions for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is so good about this podcast. You know, you're openly saying that you're saying it on a very open platform and you're allowing that vulnerability. And you know, there's guys out there, I mean, you definitely know it at this point. You've had so many guests, you know, so many people who have used this like as an outlet to talk. So, I mean, it's a really great initiative and it does exist, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and and hopefully it gets better. I think that the culture we're heading into it as just like our younger generation is just going to be more open towards that. But there will always be like a male stoic ideal figure that guys want to hit that will actually end up potentially being bad for them, trying to be that type of person and withholding those emotions. Yeah. And I always say, you know, there's no one size fits all in masculinity. I think what we're trying to do right now is reframe it in another way. And where it's like only this type of masculinity is healthy. I'm like, no, you can have both sides. There just has to be, you have to be true to who you are. And I don't think everyone that is super emotional is true to who they are. And I don't think everyone that's super blocked off is true to who they are. But I do think there are people that are just more that way naturally and there's nothing wrong with that. But there definitely is a a need to have the conversation. But I'm not trying to pin pin pigeonhole anyone into being a certain way. I just want to have the conversations. Mm-hmm. And just normalize it for people so that when they see those different types of masculinity, they're like, that's all right, you know? Like exactly. that's really what it comes down to is the bigger group being like, okay, there's differences in masculinity. And because you're different from me, like that's all right. Because there's not one type, there's not one ideal image for it. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think that's uh, I know it's been over an hour and you got plans for the evening. So um, you okay if I wrap it up? Yeah, brother. It's all good. Thanks for having me. I honestly enjoy these conversations. Yeah, no, I really enjoy these conversations. And like I said, I think you're doing a great job and I hope you keep doing it. Thank you so much, Keegan. Uh, That means a lot. And it's been nice to have these conversations with you. I know we uh, just talked a bit at Laurier, but it's been great to kind of reconnect over the podcast. It's, it's been amazing to see the type of people that have kind of reached back out to me in this life who I really didn't think um, I'd be speaking to beyond school or beyond high school or beyond like sports when I was like grade six. Um, So I think it's been great. And I thank you so much for um, you know, even having the vulnerability and honesty to reach out to me saying that you wanted to have this conversation and, and spearhead that, um, because I think this is a, an idea and, and conversation that's on a lot of men's hearts and they want yeah. to have it. So I thank you for taking the, the initiative to, to reach out to me. Anytime, man, anytime, really yeah. like 
great experience keep doing your thing thanks, thanks. buddy and thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode. Um, I hope you got some value out of it with, you know, taking the shift from being more business career focused and, and how to operate that in the new world to really trying to understand how we as men could be more comfortable being more authentic and honest and vulnerable um, with others. So I, I really liked uh, this conversation with Keegan. If you enjoyed it, reach out to me on Instagram at the imperfect pod, leave a review, subscribe, follow uh, everywhere you listen. And uh, I look forward to next week's episode.